Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, guys. Dr. Santosh here, your pediatric infectious disease doc, and sometimes scientist. But only sometimes. <laughs> Literally sometimes. Yeah, yeah. We have a strict I... limit on how often he's allowed to science. There is a discovery curfew. But yes, there is definitely, especially if you work for a hospital or a university or anything like that, there is definitely limits on how long you can science before they ask you to please come back to the clinic. <laughs> so we've been doing a series this month on the flavors of medicine, and, and we covered a few things such as uh, why pills taste bitter and who came up with the different medication flavors. Yeah. And how effective they can be. Uh, we've also looked into medicine and design this season, how the way hospitals are built and even choices as where the windows are put or signage is hung can affect healing. But you know what we haven't gotten into as, as we continue on this designing medicine series? Yes, I know what you mean. The smell of medicine. I think that's a, a series nobody wants to <laughs> to take a whiff of. Josh, how would, how would so we many have... smells. <laughs> I mean, we had a little bit of a time, you know, describing visual representation on an audio media. And then we braved talking about the sense of taste on a visual media. 
How would we do smell through? <laughs> Welcome yeah. to Travel Medicine Podcast Smell Vision Edition. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I think we're going to stick within the visual field. And this time, we are still going to be talking a lot about pills and the creation of pills. But we're going to also look at another version of this, which is, of course, the colors of medicine. Ooh. In an episode I like to title, What's Wrong with Hugh? <laughs> do you, uh, should, should we do that once more again with a little emphasis on the H? So you really, like you ruin the pun, like that kind of thing. The colors of medicine. What's wrong with Hugh? <laughs> you sound like Stewie from Family Guy. <laughs> but before we get into this week's episode, just a very brief announcement. For those of you who have not been listening before today, or you might have noticed if you're joining, that we have a live show coming up at the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo a.k.a. C2E2. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, it is actually on a Sunday. <laughs> on April 2.15. 2.15. 2.15. Watches our brains collide with medical topics in comics. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm excited to see all of your smiling faces. I'm excited to prove that we have faces. That said, pick up your <laughs> tickets for C2E2. We'll be appearing Sunday, 2.15 p.m., but the entire weekend will be filled with appearances by a lot of great comic folks. That said, we've got our shilling out of the way, so if you're in Chicago, come check it out. If you're not in Chicago, why not? Get yourself over here. <laughs> come on down. It'll be a lifesaver. and. That leads me to my first terrible segue of the day. Did you know <laughs> that the inventor of Lifesaver Candies was inspired oh. by witnessing a pharmacist make pills? Oh, I, I didn't know that. I always thought it was just, you know, he put together that if you put a hole in the middle of a candy and a little kid chokes on it, they could still breathe. They wouldn't completely choke off. And then, you know, it looked like a little, you know, the, the lifesaver ring that you throw out of a... Now, we already talked previously about candy-flavored aspirin and childproof caps and Necco wafers from pharmacists. But pharmacists, yeah. <laughs> after watching a pharmacist make pills with that same old-fashioned pill-cutting machine, thought, you know, that would be a great way to make candies. But how Ooh. old do you think the process of giving pills for treatment of diseases is santosh how far back oh, do you think we go oh so because before that you would have you know a tincture which would be like a powder or you'd have a you know alchemical type of uh you know physic which would usually be like a liquid so when did it actually turn into a pill form mid to late 1800s something like that because you'd have to have something that could you know mechanically tamp down whatever you'd normally give in a powder form or a liquid form but you'd be able to tamp it down into a solid you know thing that would hold together by itself you are correct only in the sense that traditionally in prehistory 
Okay. Recipes for medications were usually liquid preparations. For instance, gotcha. a tasty sounding medicinal recipe inscribed on an Assyrian clay tablet tells the okay. user to pulverize seeds, plants, leaves, and dissolve them in beer. But if we're going to be talking about the earliest pills, I'm going to need you to uh, get your coat and come on over with me because we're going to hop into the Wayback Machine. Yes, yes. Okay. So I I was off. I was off by a ton, probably. By so much because the earliest pills emerged in ancient Egypt. Ooh, as a little round ball containing medicinal ingredients mixed with bread dough, honey, clay, or grease. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. So this was before we had the types of uh, pill fillers that we have in this day and age. So they were using more natural binders. Okay, I should have thought of that. I'm sorry. Okay, all the way back, way back. Of course, not that the word pill was in use then. You know, this is how we used to give medications to our dogs in ancient Egypt, as well as today. Just, you know, (laughs) stick the powder in a little bit of peanut butter. They they won't even notice. (laughs) The first pills, let's let's jump to ancient Greece instead of Egypt. Uh, And round balls or other shapes were not Mm -hmm. called pills. They were called catapodia, meaning something to be swallowed. The medical etymology of pill actually comes from Roman scholar Pliny the Elder, who lived from 23 to 79 AD and first Mm -hmm. coined the word pilula. Pilula comes from pila, meaning ball or globe, and ula, uh, which actually comes from the pilus or hair. And that's because, and here's where we're going to make one of many gross references, um, he felt that the rolled up form of this medication looked very mm-hmm. similar to balls used in ancient Roman games that were filled with hair. So he said, oh, oh it's oh. a little, it's a, it looks like a little hairball. Not oh, the kind but, your cat okay. hacks up, <laughs> but the kind they use <laughs> in Roman sports. And he's like, oh, it's a tiny little version of this ball stuffed with hair but instead it's stuffed with medicine. I'm going to call it a palula. Oh, that's so neat. Okay, so, uh, well, hair is a great stuffing material for, you know, anything that you want it to be hard, but still give a little bit. Um, okay, so I guess that was used for... <laughs> I would never think of, like, stuffing a ball full of hair to play with it, but it makes sense. It, You know, before you had modern rubbers and latexes and that kind of thing, like, that would be the perfect little, you know, thing to use. Okay, got it, got it. So, let's recap. Ancient Assyria, oh. 4,000 mm. years ago, were just pouring pulverized plant parts in beer. Then yes. we get to okay. Egypt, and we're mixing it with clay or bread dough or honey. Same pulverized plant parts, but now it's rolled uh-huh. up. We hop over to Greece, and we're now beginning to call these little rounded shapes full of healing compounds catapodia. And then Roman scholar comes along and says, let's call it a pilula, or which eventually will become pill. So now that we've determined how the origins of the pill first came about, uh, we'll, let me let me get my hand over here on the lever for the Wayback Machine, and we'll move up just oh, yeah. a little. When do you think we started branding medications? 
you know, we, we talk about how oh. direct-to-consumer advertising is a terrible tragedy in the U.S. It's yeah. not allowed in most of Europe. But for how many uh -huh. years has humankind been trying to brand its medications? Oh, that I know has old, old traditions because that – you know, if I go back to, uh, you know, the, the Lewis and Clark expedition, Lewis and Clark needed laxatives. <laughs> and I think their doctor supplied them with mercury pills. And he called those, he named it after himself and called them thunderclappers. I think that goes all the way back. I'd say you know, past medieval times. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back all the way to when there was like alchemy and stuff, like maybe like 1100, 1280. 500 BC. And what? you were, <laughs> and you, sir, are confusing Pfizer with Pharaohs. <laughs> we're still in, in your favorite ancient Egypt. We're still in ancient Egypt and Greece. Uh, oh, as geez. far back okay. as 500 BC, some Whoa. medications were trademarked with special indentations in the pills. The earliest branded pills were known mm -hmm. as Terra Sigillata. And I've given you in the show notes a little picture of some of these ancient pills. Why don't you go ahead okay. and describe them before we talk about oh. Terra Sigillata? Josh, these are so cool. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you'd put this picture in here, and I, I didn't want to read too far ahead. And I thought maybe that it was coinage for some reason, because they look like fat coins. So you've shown me a what looks to be like a silver tinted one and a gold one, and then a maybe like a red clay uh, over here. And th they're absolutely intricate. They are, uh, you know, they're pill shaped and sized, but they've got a beautiful stamping on the front, which looks almost, um, is it like a pastoral scene, Josh, like a skyline or something like that? But All Terra right. Sigillata in, in common tongue is used in pottery and it just refers to waterproofing a clay pot. But in pharmacy oh, history, gotcha. yeah. it refers to the very first trademarked drug product which was a small clay tablet or planchette that bore an official mark. In this case, okay. the seal was literally intended for trade and marketing purposes. It was a fatty Ooh. clay yeah. harvested from a very particular hill on the Mediterranean island of Lemnos, which is now part of Greece. Dude, now, this is if, if pills had imprints like this nowadays... They <laughs> well, I, I'm almost Santosh. They they be. do. We just don't look at pills. Well, no, but... no, no. But these these are beautiful. These are little like scenes. You know, they're they're artistic. They're not just like you know letter letter number number. So here was what being a pharmacist was like on Lemnos in 500 BC. Dug on a special day annually in the presence of government and religious dignitaries, the clay. Uh -huh was rolled to a defined thickness and pressed with an official seal by priestesses and then dried in the sun before being distributed. So it was sun-dried. The tablets were then distributed commercially. Uh -huh. And this okay. would let you know, oh, these are the medications from the Isle of Lemnos. They're the only ones that have this seal so they can be trusted. You had brand recognition and quality control. Oh, so cool. For a okay, given... So for a given level of quality. 
for for exactly for for whatever that was but we i i know that in terms of the federal drug administration here in this country and all of the quality control and everything that we use because we talked about this in our previous episode keeping the color straight the stamping straight on pills and tablets that are sold in this country are very heavily regulated so that again you know we can we can keep quality very very consistent and we don't leave it just up to like the honesty of the company like they're they're cross-checked um and and part of that quality control is this type of well we use a a much more simple imprinting Um, now you may be wondering how effective could these priest blessed clay rolled medications B, given that people um, were eating literal dirt. Well, <laughs> okay. Now, well, I'm not. I'm not too worried. I mean, a lot of our medication, the the bulk of the pill is a filler, isn't it? The fancy pharmaceutical term for the non-active ingredients in the pill are called excipients. Gotcha. And those are gotcha. sort of the packaging. But let's look at the ingredients in this dirt. Dirt from the Isle of Lemnos. You have okay. silica aluminum, chalk, magnesium, traces of oxide, meaning this clay could act as an absorbent. Uh, Clay in general contains kaolin. And if you're thinking, well, that sounds very similar to the word kaopectate, then you, sir, are correct, but also have a weird thought process. So, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so kaolin, which is an active anti-diarrheal component, and the calcium carbonate and magnesium hydroxide may have served as nutrients or antacids. So you have almost the earliest version of gel caps just from dirt. <laughs> and that makes a lot of sense. Ours, the excipients in, in the pills that we use nowadays are a little bit fancier and, of course, more refined so that you really eliminate any contamination and the pathogens <laughs> perhaps, but the, the role of those excipients is exactly the same. So keep moisture out, keep your active ingredient preserved and stable so that it can stay on the shelf for a longer period of time without chemically breaking down. Now there's even pieces of ancient Roman pill making equipment, which you can find where else the British museum and the stone has long flat grooves into which the pill maker would press clay or other substances to make long snaky strings. Like when you were a kid and you rolled Play-Doh up into the that snake yeah, yeah, that was the, the first and, and only forth. thing we could all make. That was that <laughs> yeah. was you doing ancient Roman and Greek pharmacy. The filmmaker would then pry the strings out and chop them into discs to form little pills the same way one cuts dough for cookies. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah, because you could do that also as a, uh, you know, you made your snakes. Usually when we were making like a, a kitchen display, I would do green snakes and cut those up and you could make like a little, little bowl of peas. Don't eat them though. So, and of course, depending on where you were obtaining your clay and the local properties of the soil there, various medications would be better or worse. Now, this is not something that your average ancient peasant was thinking about in terms of, oh, well, you know, if I go to the Agora Greens down in the Acropolis, I can get sure. this. But if I go to uh, 
CV Pharos than this medication. No, they were just like, well, here's, you know, but certain soils and springs did come to be known for healing properties. And this may have been some of the beginning why. But now that we've talked about how pills can be made, let's jump forward a little bit. Because for the next 5,000 years, pills in general, if they weren't made from dirt, were round and white, and color wasn't really existent. You know, over-the-counter medications were pastels because they were just pale, or they were ghostly white, um, or in transparent orange vials. That's why it was such a big deal when you had this new candy-flavored aspirin that we talked about in the previous episode. I will say, Josh, the... Uh, you know, the orange vials that you, you you were talking about, like kind of amber color, that was really important at the time because one of the easiest ways to break down the active ingredients chemically in, uh, you know, now and previously was ultraviolet light. So your you know, if especially a a bottle of liquid medication, you would have to make sure that it was protected from light and heat, especially ultraviolet. Now, pills would be somewhat bitter, as I'm sure you could imagine, you know, again, dirt. But (laughs) beginning in medieval times, people would just start coating their pills with plant substances and other materials so they'd go down more easily, taste less bitter. They rolled them in spices like frankincense and myrrh. And by the Victorian (laughs) era, they were putting gold and silver on them, uh, all to not only make the pills taste better, which, you know, mixed results, but to make it more appealing. And now you're getting a little bit of class conflict where, you know, Lord High Muckety Muck is having his silver coated pill for his treatment, while Cockney Johnny down the street gets a little bit of dirt, watcha on whatever (laughs) mud-colored pill he can choke down. Of course, gilding of pills would render them pretty inert because it can't get past the gold or silver. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And therefore don't release their medicinal compounds. But that's not what we're here to talk about this episode. We're here to talk about color. So let's get into it. The color transformation in the modern day really started in where else? The 1960s. Yes, when everything, when uh, that's actually when color was invented, Josh. Uh, we started seeing colors in the 60s. In s- 1970s, we got soft gel capsules that made colorful medications of multicolor possible for the first time. And these early medications with color would be cherry red, lime green, tangy yellow, you know, all the Lucky Charms colors. So let's Let's get into a little bit of color psychology, because I know you asked me when we were talking about this off record, what do you do when you're crossing cultures? For example, white. In the West, it tends to symbolize innocence and purity. That's why you'll see it at a lot of weddings. But in the East, white is known as a color of mourning. A perfect example from this in comic books, look at the funeral outfits in the movie Wakanda Forever. They're not a somber black. It's like a bright white. Um, Yes. And white is often used for funerals in Eastern and African countries. So what do you think the color of a medication could do? And we've, of course, talked many times about the placebo effect. But do you think the placebo effect extends to color, making a medication more or less effective just on its perception? I'm almost certain 
Yes, you'd have to have some kind of association that you had where, you know, this is a good color for healing, or maybe even this is a cool color versus this is a hot color, that kind of a thing. I, I would venture to say yes, that, you know, it's important to, to make sure that the, the color matches up. Maybe it's not the be all end all, but it might help with the so of the drug. If you were a depressed person and you went to your physician and uh-huh. you had a talk with them and you ultimately were started on medication for said depression, what yeah. color do you think that medication's gonna be? Just off the top of your head. Uh so you wanna help with depression. Yeah. Okay. You're you're given so, a medication for depression, you open it up, what color are the pills inside that box? Don't overthink this, no. Santosh. You're opening oh, so up that just, pill bottle. What do you think? Okay. What color are you personally <laughs> expecting to find in there? Okay, so yeah, probably like a, a darker blue. So would you take a antidepressant medication if you opened up the bottle and saw like a deep maroon or oh. a, you know, muddy brown? I don't think so. That's well, muddy brown. I still, I mean, because I in the United States over here, I associate it with like Motrin, Advil, that kind of a thing. Um, no, I, I don't think I'd be very happy with, uh, um, you know, a muddy. Neither brown you nor anyone else. We actually have research showing if a person suffering from a mood disorder is provided with maroon or dark colored antidepressant tablets. The they won't like it. So the efficiency of the drug will actually be less, not to mention compliance will be less. Similarly, patients look at capsules of a soft blue color. All right. I've handed you a unmarked bottle of blue pills. What do you think they do? Uh, Unmarked blue pill. (laughs) Just blue pills. What what general class of drugs are you expecting a blue pill will treat. And oh, I know this has oh, changed will... a little bit since 1990s and we'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If I'm not making the boner joke, then um, I, I'll actually go a little bit before where the, uh, remember the Simpsons? Uh, you know, they were saying we're only able to give, you know, these antidepressants, which one would you like? And I remember one of them was the bluebird of unhappiness. <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I think uh, one of the more popular ones was, you know, like a, a Prozac, uh, you know, type of mood stabilizer, antidepressant, that kind of thing. So capsules of soft blue color are believed to result in better night's sleeps. When okay, there's okay. things like acid reflux, people are very reluctant to take anything green as it's linked oh. with the sour taste of citric acid. So uh-huh, uh-huh. it's really important to match the color of a drug with the anticipated result to achieve maximum effectiveness. And this has nothing to do with what's going on on a molecular level. This is all okay, yeah. just how we trick ourselves. So what would this show be without references to scientific articles? Let's <laughs> let's drag out the journal binder and take a peek, you know, sound of flipping pages. Let, let's see. Do I have do I have my uh, my dictionary? Okay. Nice. So, uh-huh. in a systematic <laughs> review of twelve published studies, six of them looked at the perceived action again, perceived action of different colored sure. drugs, mm-hmm. and six 
looked at the influence the color of a given drug actually had on its effectiveness. I want to I want to separate that out again. Half the studies looked at what people thought a drug would do based on its color. And the other half looked at how effective a given drug was for people based on its color, regardless of what they expected it to do. Got, so okay, so one was measuring the perception. The other one was, for instance, if it was a antihypertensive, so for blood pressure medications, they saw or they tested how many points, like the systolic and diastolic, you know, blood pressure went down. So this was a huge study or meta-analysis done in the Netherlands. Ooh, I love and that. And they sought the <laughs> answer to three questions. Are formulations of different colors perceived as equally active? Do Mm -hmm. different colored formulations of the same drug produce a different effect in randomized clinical trials? And is the color of available hypnotics, sedatives, and anti-anxiety medications systematically different from that of antidepressants in the Netherlands? So they were looking at a wide range, again, mostly for mental health and mood disorders across that spectrum, but they looked at a whole bunch because, again, 12 different studies. So I will let you kind of go into some of the paper, but let let me give you some of the highlights of these. Sure. The studies on perceived action showed red, yellow, and orange drugs are associated with a stimulant effect while blue and green are related to a tranquilizing effect. Now, think of a bunch of different stimulant medications we have in the U.S. What colors do do they tend to be? Oh, okay. So stimulants are going to be... Yeah, absolutely. They're they're more uh, lighter colors. They tend not to be pastel. They tend to be a little bit more sharp. Uh, so yeah, I, that fits. That that goes along with what I'm thinking. Uh-huh. The trials that looked at the color of drugs on their effectiveness were a little bit more inconsistent. So the color didn't seem to affect how the drug actually worked, but it might affect how well people would think it worked. And that distinction is going to sure. be important later. But mm-hmm. the quality of the methods among these 12 trials was variable because, again, they were looking right. at color, which is a categorical variable and a little bit harder to quantify. However, most of the hypnotic, sedative, and mood-altering drugs were much more likely than antidepressants to be green, blue, or purple. I can't remember the last time I saw a purple pill aside from the one that's endlessly advertised, and I will not dignify by name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, purple is extremely distinctive. I wouldn't be too surprised if once a purple pill came out that you know a a company would have put like a, a you know a some sort of a patent or kibosh on it so that it was just hey this is ours now because it is so absolutely distinctive. So let's run through some of these studies. So now that you know what kind of colors to expect from a Western setting, red, yellow, orange, those are going to be our upper colors. They'll be assigned (laughs) to medications that we think are going to get us going. Um, On the other end of Roy G. Biv are going to be our calming, sedating medications. So in a single blind experiment to demonstrate a placebo effect, Blackwell Mm -hmm. et al., 
asked a hundred medical students to participate in an experiment where they would receive either a sedative or a stimulant drug. Okay. Okay. My favorite, uh, my favorite sentence in the rest of this study is immediately following. Remember, he asked a hundred medical students to participate. Okay. All okay. of the fifty-six students who volunteered. <laughs> yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Yeah. <laughs> so basically uh, they cast a net for a hundred subjects and they captured 56 fair. Okay. All of the 56 <laughs> students who volunteered to take this either sedative or stimulant drug just received a blue or a pink placebo. Neither yeah. option had a chemically active component. Just the color right. was different. Right. Subjects when evaluated later across the board, taking the blue placebo felt less alert and more drowsy at a rate of okay. 66% than those taking the pink 26%. So less alert, 66 to 26, blue versus pink, and more drowsy, mm -hmm. 72 to 37. The students were all given the same sugar pill, just dropped in color, but the ones who took the blue were like, oh, yeah, I think I got the sedative. I'm a little more tired. The ones who got the pink were way up there. Okay, and this was regardless of if you told the person you'd be getting a sedative, but for instance, you gave them a red or a pink. Uh, yeah, versus, but you may be okay. Gotcha. But you may be thinking to yourself, "Well, these are medical students; they already have a rough idea of how scientific studies are conducted. They know placebo effects, no placebo yeah. effects. They're going to be hard <laughs> to trick." Yeah. Well, I, I want people to understand, you know, what, number one, when we say placebo effect, okay, placebo effect does not mean nothing. Placebo is actually quite powerful, which is why when we're talking about the efficacy of a drug, you really have to show how effective a drug is above placebo effect. Placebo is not nothing. It is, it is, quite potent. And the other interesting thing, Josh, that we have talked about before in previous episodes is that the neat thing about placebo is it works even when you know it's a placebo. <laughs> so <laughs> there's something about this. If anybody's curious, go onto Harvard's website and look for their department of placebo studies. Amazing department. So let's 
take it out of the realm of medical students and put it into actual patients. In a okay, randomized okay. crossover study reported by Lucelli et al., 96 mm -hmm. patients admitted for elective surgeries, elective meaning things that you don't really have to stay hospitalized for, uh, knee replacements, joint replacements, eye surgeries, you know, yeah. minor minor to moderate procedures. And Hernia, 96 patients. Yeah. 96 <laughs> patients were randomized to receive either a hypnotic agent, so an actual active medication, or a mm -hmm. placebo on their first night following the procedure. On the second okay. night following the procedure, all patients would receive the other study drug, which they didn't get the first time, yeah. which was the exact same color as that on the night before, meaning two nights, two different drugs, same shape, same color. So you don't know which night you're getting the active drug. Yeah, so this is why it's called a crossover, right? Is that you you start out with your two groups and then you literally cross them uh, across each other. <laughs> two different colors were tested, blue and orange. Okay. Go Bears. So <laughs> patients either got two blue pills one night after the other or two orange pills. Okay. But they got the same. If you were blue, you kept getting blue. If you were orange, you kept getting orange. Patients mm -hmm. okay. taking the blue capsules reported and were noted to fall asleep significantly more quickly than those taking the orange capsules at a rate of 103 minutes following 100 versus 135 minutes with a p-value of less than 0.05, which just means that is a statistically significant difference. Right. And those taking the blue capsules slept longer, 380 minutes rather than 346 minutes. That's at a p-level of 0.01. Okay. All right. So uh, now everybody does have to notice out there. Okay. P-value, just as a quick reminder, it's basically telling you what are the chances that this difference happened because of pure random chance versus what are the chances that it happened because there was an actual effect. So that p-value is important, but what's more important here is the real difference between those two, right? So essentially, the difference in that first with the orange capsule was 30 minutes. And with the second one, it was likewise around, you know, 30 minutes. Um, but the neat thing was there was a real difference there. Yeah, and again, just taking a blue pill, which we've already said is more associated with a sedating or calming color, meant that patients following surgeries would fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer. All things being yeah. equal, whether or not they got a true yes. hypnotic sedative or just a blue-colored sugar pill. <laughs> which has some pretty cool implications, Josh. I mean, 30 minutes is a pretty long time in terms of, you know, recovery and, and you know, getting good sleep, uh, you know, adding in an extra REM cycle, something like that. So, dude, if you could do that without risking the toxicity or side effects of a medication and just use the placebo effect, holy cow, that is awesome. The results, now you may be asking yourself, were all these studies just done in white people? Because that's a fair, <laughs> that's a fair yeah. question. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Or or all in men, you know, the, 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 it, you do need a, a diverse group of people if you want to be more general. Yes. All in the elderly. So let's 
let's go into, again, some of these categorical variables. The results of a series of surveys showed pretty interesting differences as well as similarities across a wide range of demographics. And before mm -hmm. we get into those demographics, the strongest and most consistent color associations were those of white with pain relief and, stim and red with stimulants. Okay. Red uh -huh. was found to be more related to aggression and power, and people would expect heart medications to be red. Blue. Well, yeah, color of blood. Blue with calmness and serenity. Those were looked mm -hmm. at for sleeping medications, sedatives, hypnotics. Uh-huh. Green, of course, environment and health, and yellow with energy or general queasiness. This is not counting the famous pink color of Pepto-Bismol, which we had already spoken of in a previous yeah. episode. <laughs> That's true. So yeah. in the 80s, Buckaloo and Caulfield tested the same effects across several ethnicities. And this is where it gets really interesting. Caucasians, oh, okay. yeah. Caucasians white people by and large, tend to perceive white-colored pills as analgesics or pain relief, pain and relief, whereas African-Americans perceive them as stimulants. Okay, okay. Furthermore, those expectations were completely reversed for black-colored pills. I don't even know where I've seen a black-colored pill in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because usually there's print on them. And yeah, you're right. I, I haven't seen a black, because you need to dye it somehow. But I, I you're right. I, none of the pills that I can think of are colored black. But apparently, among African-American communities in the 80s, black-colored pills were thought to be pain-relieving, whereas white-colored pills would be more associated to be stimulants. Oh, okay. Neat. <laughs> in 2015. I, mm -hmm. yeah, no, no, I just, I'm loving this. Go ahead. Go ahead. In 2015, Juan et al. reported that red colored pills were felt to have the highest alerting effect, while white colored pills still associated with pain relief were felt to be the best suited for combating headaches. So if you wanted to stay awake or alert, you would take a red medication. If you just wanted to treat pain, really headache pain, you'd be looking for a white pill. Okay. So okay. then we get some Asian researchers. Tao in 2017 looked across cultures rather than races to see, because remember we talked about white is purity in one culture and death in another. Well, okay. Okay. across cultures, red is perceived as a stimulant in almost every culture. Okay, got it. Okay. Blue tends to be a depressant across multiple cultures, uh, including Asia, Africa, and Europe. Okay, okay. So this, uh, th there are some of these that track pretty well, but okay, so any, any differences or? In 2018, black and yellow colored pills were thought to be hallucinogens. So once you start mixing pill colors, you think you're going to be getting some kind of effect from it. And okay. looking across these studies, gender had an effect on certain colors such oh. as blue and black. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. So women would have more expectations of calming medications from blue pills, whereas men would expect black ones. Oh, interesting. Still, I uh, haven't seen any black pills, but very interesting. Yeah, I I want to know <laughs> what what pills are being me personally. 
I don't know that I'd feel entirely comfortable swallowing a black pill. I don't even, I can't even tell you what movie has given me that fear. But a, yeah. but no, I, a pill medication, there's a wide range of colors I'm willing for my pills to be. Black? Yeah, yeah. Not among them. <laughs> I I know that there are they are out there and not completely. Um, I I hope you don't mind, Josh. So I just jumped right onto uh, the Medscape Pill Finder on here. So um, the the ones that I'm seeing actually that are black, very interestingly, are B complex vitamins. So Minefron, renal caps, reno caps, which are for, you know, people who have renal failure. Um, there's a bunch of these which are black. And then there's part black ones. Carbamazepine is one. Cephadroxyl, oh, antibiotic. Um, and then other than that, yeah, iron. Iron is usually black um, if it's not colored with anything else because that's just the normal color of, um, you know, the elemental iron when you're when you're giving it as a pill so to study the role of color expectations among genders 80 chinese participants were asked to classify each of seven single colored capsules and six differently colored two-piece capsules into one of four classifications all right and they also compared the chinese sample with four other cultural groups studied elsewhere so the test results showed all seven single colored capsules showed non-chance distributions between genders. And while the cross-group comparison, again, can revealed consistent red stimulant and blue depressant associations, you did see some disagreements across the cultural groups for drug design. Now, mm. I will that's one of the studies locked behind a paywall at ResearchGate. I cannot <laughs> legally tell you to use Sci-Hub to unlock that paywall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you know, you're not supposed to look at SCI-Hub, H-U-B, on Google and then, you know, use the most recent link. It's just a wrong thing to do. So if you do that, we're just going to shake <laughs> our fingers at you and tell you you need to pay exorbitant amounts of money to view studies meant for uh for lots of people but yeah so yeah <laughs> women let, let's go into to some of these some of these yeah. other studies so we talked about gender we talked about culture and yes there will um, be links to a free full text version in this paper um now but, you did you told us about time also right like you know blue in one time versus blue at another time. Ah, yes. So in 1997, <laughs> a little blue pill came out that <laughs> that altered the Western association of blue as a calming medication. And of course, I am talking about Viagra, the little yes. blue pill that <laughs> definitely did not have a sedating effect. So... <laughs> That actually began to change the expectations for mood. Now, blue is still viewed to be a calming color, but all of a sudden you lost some of those specific associations with the color blue. In 2002, a rival product, Levitra, which is Cialis? They're phosphodiesterase inhibitors that allow for... uh, You know, the, the blood flow to pool in certain places. Uh, like your penis. 
So there was a brief period in 1997 which the coloring of medications went a little haywire when Viagra was introduced. So marketing groups for Levitra sent out a study in 2002 to figure out how to beat the blues, referring to (laughs) the sky blue tablets of Viagra. And market research concluded that consumers didn't resonate with the imagery. They thought the blue color was too cool, too calm, and equated with being sick rather than randy. Oh, okay, okay. At the end of all these studies, the team presented the vitreous color, orange, a vibrant, energetic, you know, pumping sort of (laughs) medication. Not terribly far off from the red, but it's not affecting your heart. It is, however, on that stimulant color wheel. Okay, so this was kind of a a smart move as a competitor. Jumping up ahead to 2013. So, you know, we've talked a lot about how this works from a marketing perspective and what you think pills will do, what you think they won't. But I want to talk about one of, to me, the most fascinating studies, which is changing the color of a pill can actually affect your health in a very direct fashion. Mm. Because differences in the color of prescribed medication can affect whether or not a patient will stop taking a drug. And here's how, effect, here's how big an effect it has. Patients who take generic drugs that differ in color from the brands they were started on are 50% more likely to stop intake of a drug producing negative reactions. So. Oh, wow. To study this, the investigators used a large database of filled prescriptions, Mm -hmm. so essentially those mailing prescriptions, and they looked at seizure medications, which I think you can agree, stopping your seizure medication, highly likely to have a noticeable effect long before maybe stopping your high blood pressure or even your diabetes, depending on how well it's controlled. We do not endorse stopping any of your medications, but for the purposes of this study, (laughs) they chose a good one to see a quick turnaround. Okay, okay, fair, okay. So they looked at filled prescriptions for seizure medications as well as a couple others. Whenever they discovered a gap longer than a month in a patient's use of the drug, they reviewed the previous two prescriptions that had been filled and they checked to see if they were the same shape and color. Okay. And they found that when the patients with epilepsy received or refilled their prescription and received a different color pill than they were used to, about 55% would take a break from taking their drugs as prescribed. Okay, that's quite a bit. (laughs) That's, oh, (laughs) that's kind of a heartbreaking amount of non-adherence, okay? They chose this because epilepsy affects only 2% of the population, Uh, That's making it an easier population to study. But imagine your insurance changes. You can't afford one brand of a drug. So you sign up to get your regular pills, and they're coming in a different color than you're expecting. This study says you are now half as likely to just stop for no other reason. It's not because it's too expensive. It looks different. Wow. Okay, okay. And we've established... I think with fair certainty that the color of the medication itself does have an impact on the actual efficacy of the drug, especially in, you know, neurotropic medications. So medicines that are for mood and for depression and things like this. So 
you know, maybe, and I know that they didn't study this part of it, Josh, in this study, but maybe there was an effectiveness problem too, but wow, just, you know, this is nothing, no, they didn't look at, they didn't look at what the replacement medication was. They just looked at these prescriptions, these prescriptions that were being filled regularly are now not being filled regularly. They looked at the last two prior to that disappeared, and they noted in a lot of these cases, the only thing that changed was the color of the pill, the appearance of the pill from what it had been before. It now appeared different. They're not even saying one color or shape or whatever is better than another. Just you change the way the medication appears, you lose compliance. Beyond effectiveness, beyond color, even more interesting is the idea that the color of a pill can create the opposite of a placebo effect. A change, and that's what we saw in the Netherlands study, a change in the color of a pill deprives patients of what their expectations of efficacy are. Remember, we talked about a maroon antidepressant versus Mm -hmm, a blue one. So if you see a different pill and now you think, that this new pill will be less effective because it doesn't look the same, guess what? It will. The placebo effect actually will make the medication less efficient at being broken down by your body. It's it's not the full nocebo, but it's an anti-sebo? What would you even call this? (laughs) If I'm looking at a pill and I'm expecting it to be less effective because it just is a different color, all of a sudden it will be less effective. (laughs) so it's actually in this case i would say it's withdrawal of the previous not withdrawal like a drug withdrawal but removal of the previously talked about or or known placebo effect so this again you know this is what we try to tell people placebo is not nothing it is an important part of the efficacy of an intervention, whatever the intervention is, in this case, you know, pharmaceutical, um, and you're basically taking that away, which in in a lot of cases, Josh, that could mean something like 30% of the efficacy of the drug, however you quantitate that, whether it's like reduction in seizure, you know, frequency or severity or something like that. That's a lot. That That's a massive amount. Now, you might just say, okay, well, let's just standardize colors of pills across at least the country or (laughs) cultures. And uh, sure, sure. When I'm done shuddering at the difficulty implied by that, it's worth noting that something called trade dress protection in the US uh legally prevents a generic pill from using the same color as the brand's name counterpart. Oh. Oh, come on. That's some bullshit. And this is intended to protect consumers from packaging or appearance of products designed to imitate others, meaning you can't get your cheap knockoffs, but they'll look and be predicted exactly the same. But it's also clear that this now affects the impact of drug on a consumer, and it's why so many generics are just plain white as opposed to the range of colors that you'll see for brand name medications. For a brand, that's so horrible. So, I mean, especially with all the information that you know we're talking about now, with a with a st- 
strong preponderance of evidence that the color, shape, appearance of the medication does matter. And, you know, we should have the ability to make generic medications once a formulation and everything is well established, you know, to, to have an effect. But, you know, we're, we're basically taking away part of the effect of the drug because, you know, so-and-so company wants to keep their brand looking pure. I, I get it in a, in a simple sense of you don't want somebody making a complete ripoff of a drug. You don't want them to make a, a false medication to make it look like, you know, the, the real effective drug, but a generic should be able to you know, make it look like the brand. That's silly. I want to emphasize, this is not saying generics are less effective and often price-wise, I'll I'll choose generics over brands nine times out of 10. Yeah. But for people, again, who may be in financial hardship or may have a change in their coverage, those are pretty big things that can affect actual compliance and drug efficiency. Now, we've talked about gender differences, culture differences. Let's just very briefly comment on age differences before we call a night. In normal aging, the lens of the human eye will yellow, harden, and scatter more light. This is why typically older adults will need reading glasses to see distances and are more sensitive to glare. Color vision as you age tends to remain pretty normal, but remember with that lens of the eye gradually yellowing, this will shift your color perception, meaning blues and greens can start appearing more similar. Blues can mm-hmm. look darker. Purples can look more like reds. Now, we've just gone through a whole episode saying your expectation of what a pill should look like can have a direct effect on how well that pill works on you. If your color okay. vision shifts as you age, that's going to also shift how a pill you appear so you may say oh i've been taking this for years and years and years i'm pretty sure they've changed it no grandpa you just have cataracts and (laughs) now you don't think your heart medication will be as effective because it's maroon instead of red or your sleeping pill you know now looks black and you're expecting it to have instead of blue um this again could lead to compliance issues and that weird anti-SIBO effect where you lose the positive effect of the placebo. I, I'll be honest, this all started as just a giant wiki dive <laughs> when I, I was remember. looking up why Pepto-Bismol was pink. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. And I think you and I both had the same type of reaction of like, oh, we're going to find a lot of woo-woo stuff and we're going to dispel a lot of myths about oh you know the the color of the drug or the you know the the look of it or the shape or the smell or the taste it come on you know the 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 active chemical is acetaminophen it is going to acetaminophenize your pain that's it and it turns out that we're much more complex than that that you know a lot like when we talked about our gastro psychology, <laughs> that it has a very real difference on, you know, the look and the presentation and everything does have an effect on how we experience the food, even how we metabolize it. Um, and that has an effect on things like obesity. The drug appearance really does impact 
you know, how effective it is person to person, culture to culture, and even over time. This is important stuff. It really is. So in the show notes, I'm going to put an open access article, Understanding Color Associations and Their Effects on Expectations of Drug Efficacies by Rima Amawi and Michael Murdoch over at the United Arab Emirates. United Arab Emirates and Rochester, New York. And the citations in this article have a links to a bunch of what we've talked about today with Google Scholar open access journals. But the long and short of it is, regardless of what age, culture, religion, gender, any of these, color matters and can affect how your medications work on you. So if you've noticed a change in color, talk to with your physician about it. Make sure that, you know, you're still taking the same medication. But just because a color's changed doesn't mean it's less effective. And if you are finding black pills, take pictures. I want to see yeah. <laughs> what yeah. these things are. Uh, <laughs> we will continue on. That's it for this week. We'll continue on this series as I dive down more wiki holes into color, flavor, design, and maybe even smell. We'll see, Santosh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is important to talk about because, you know, like I said before, we are complex animals and it does matter much more so than the chemist. Well, I, I shouldn't say more so. It matters not just the chemistry of a medication, but the whole appearance of it, that there is like a trust and an understanding. It, it, it really does matter. And so, you know, likewise, the way that placebo affects us when we're not aware and that kind of a thing, when we are aware it is possible that sometimes we can overcome some of these problems and things like that. And just like you said, Josh, I think it's important. Hey, you know, the, the, the color of my medication has changed or the shape. What's going on with this? Is it less effective? And then if you're able to actually talk to your doctor or your pharmacist and say, no, no, it's not. It's the same medication. Perhaps it's even possible to overcome these, you know, kind of mental locks or barriers or that kind of thing. And the medicine then will be just as effective as it was before. Unless, of course, you're colorblind, in which case all bets are off and who knows what will work. John, when or what it, would be, it would be so amazing to do these types of trials on people with colorblindness. Oh, my gosh. I think that would be such a cool experiment. <laughs> So that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. Come give them to us directly at C2E2 in Chicago, April 2nd. Or, as always, you can support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially with links to do that in the show notes or by supporting us on ACAST+. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. (laughs) Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. Until next time, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a passport in your pocket. Get those shots in your arm when you've done all of those things. Find a place to go. Find a thing to study. Send it to us. And until next time, happy travels. We love you.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 